Welcome to Power Lunch, the podcast from Minnesota Center for Environmental Advocacy, where you can get smarter while eating your peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I'm your host, Aaron Clems, Director of Public Engagement at MCEA. Power Lunch is a conversation with one of MCEA's experts recorded live. We live stream these conversations on Facebook Live, and we also make them available to you in an audio podcast. In each episode, we'll focus on one aspect of MCEA's work to defend Minnesota's water, climate, air, and people. MCEA has been doing this critically important work since 1974, and our lawyers, policy experts, legislative lobbyists, and mapping and GIS specialists give us a unique capacity to protect the Minnesota that you love. Today, we're talking to Lee Curry, MCEA's Climate and Energy Program Director. Lee has spent years working on retiring Minnesota coal power plants and ensuring that we quickly transition to clean, renewable energy. She'll talk about MCEA's work to finish the job of retiring Minnesota's coal plants and what we are doing to make sure these polluting plants are replaced by clean, renewable energy. We hope you learned something you didn't know before today. If you want to keep up with our work, please visit our website, www.mncenter.org, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at MCEA1974. That's at MCEA1974. If you would like to support our work, please consider a donation. Go to www.mncenter.org slash donate. And now, our Power Lunch conversation with MCEA's Climate and Energy Program Director, Lee Curry. So let's just start with the introduction. So what, who are you and what do you do, Lee? Yeah, so as Erin said, I am the Climate and Energy Director at MCEA. So I'm an attorney and I direct the climate program. So, you know, MCEA has several issues, um, including water quality, mining, and energy and climate is one of them. So why do we why do you call it a climate and energy program? I think that's that's a pretty recent change. We used to just call it energy. So why why the addition of climate? Yeah, so <clears throat> we have recognized that the climate change is uh, you know, one of the thorniest issues of our time. And so MCA has really set its one of its strategic goals is to t- figure out how to tackle climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, one way to do that or one um, piece of that puzzle is the electricity sector, the energy we use um, both to make electricity and, and transportation energy as well. And so we used to really only focus on the energy sector and we had a clean energy program. Um, but we, you know, as you said, recently recognized that we need to um, think more broadly than that in order to really tackle climate change. And so we've changed the name to reflect the fact that we're now kind of thinking outside of the electricity box. Sure. So, I mean, Minnesota's, Minnesotans love to think that we're above average and <laughs> that everything we do is above average. And we do have a long history of setting really ambitious goals for ourselves when it comes to clean energy and transitioning to renewable sources of electricity. Um, is Minnesota on the right track right now? Are we making significant progress toward the goal of getting to a carbon-free electricity and generation economy? That's a great question. Yeah. So, I mean, as you mentioned, we have set some ambitious goals as a state. So we have a state law that says it is our goal to reach at least 80 percent greenhouse gas emission reduction by 2050, um, which is, according to most science, the level we need to get to in order to avoid the most catastrophic effects of climate change. And so they've been measuring our progress toward that goal since that statute was passed in 2007. And the most recent report shows that um, as of 2014, 
2014, we had only reduced emissions by 4%. So from 2005 to 2014, it was a 4% reduction. We were supposed to reach the benchmark of 15% reduction by 2015. So we uh, missed that benchmark, and we're going to miss the 2025 benchmark as well unless things change. Um, I will say the one sector of the economy that is on track is the electricity sector. So a lot of the work MCA and its partners have done over the last decade and a half um, have really helped mm-hmm. and market forces are, are helping now too. And so that sector has reduced emissions 17%. Um, but again, that's kind of why we have to start thinking outside of the electricity box is how do we get at the rest of the economy? So how, how much of the inter- electric electricity generated in, in Minnesota right now is generated by renewable sources, solar, wind, and other renewable sources of energy? Yeah, I think the most recent statistic I saw was about 26% in Minnesota um, comes from renewable sources. And, that, and that's a huge gain. I mean, I, if I recall correctly, a decade ago, we were at like, what, 2 or 3%? Yeah, it's been um, an explosion in, in recent years. And so a lot of that's policy-driven. Um, the renewable energy standard that Minnesota has really helped push that. A lot of it now is market-driven. Wind mm. is cheap. And I will come back to that question too about like what what is what are the market forces that are driving this transition to renewable energy? I guess I do want to take one step back though and just ask the question why this matters. I mean, one of the challenges of the climate change issue is that it feels at times like the actions that you take in Minnesota, no matter how significant, are just a drop in the bucket when it comes to the global picture of emissions. So, what is that stake for Minnesota in terms of our own decisions about? Uh, how we generate electricity and how we uh, make a transition to a carbon-free economy. Yeah, great question. So it's true. It's a global problem. I mean, our CO2 emissions from Minnesota go into the atmosphere and affect climate change globally. There's no local effects the way there are with other pollutants. Um, But Every actor needs to be a part of the solution. So from um, federal governments to, you know, regional to state, subnational governments to corporations, private institutions, colleges, citizens themselves. So it's it's an everything and all of the above strategy. And in the U.S. with what's happening at the federal level, the absence of any climate change work means that states more than ever need to step up and fill that fill that gap. Yeah, I mean, you were, you were at the, the Conference of the Parties, the 23rd mm-hmm. Conference of the Parties, which is the Global Climate Change Summit, basically, to talk about this work. What did you see from other folks across the United States as they're struggling with this question of what to do on climate in the absence of a federal government that's taking the lead on it. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great state actions happening. Minnesota um, is one of the states that that is um, becoming a leader nationally. Um, some of the other states that are doing great work and are mostly on the coasts. Minnesota kind of stands alone in the center. Um, and then it was really interesting to see what other countries are doing. Mm. I mean, to see what Europe is doing and you know, banning um, diesel engines, in, you know, by the early 2020s in some countries. It's pretty impressive. So it was it was inspiring to see what other states and countries are doing. And it's inspiring, but it's also kind of daunting too, because it goes to show yeah. what kind of work we have to do and what work we can do. Um, I do want to spend a little bit of time just laying the groundwork for some of the stuff we'll talk about later in your work at the Public Utilities Commission. So Minnesota is not unique, but it's one of a series of states that have utility commissions that regulate 
our electricity generating sector. And, and the reason why we have that is because these companies that create power are monopolies inside of their own territory. Um, so the Public Utilities Commission, though, is quite a bit different from other state and uh, government bodies. So can you talk a little bit about what, they, what the Public Utilities Commission does and how it's different from other state agencies? Yeah. Yeah. I spent a lot of my time there. <laughs> um, yeah. So the Public Utilities Commission is different in a couple of ways. Um, one is that there is a body of commissioners. So there's five commissioners that are appointed by the governor. So it's not, um, you know, Pollution Control Agency has one commissioner. Um, DNR has one commissioner, but the PUC is a body of five. Um, and then I'd say the biggest difference that I notice coming from private practice to uh, public utilities commission practice is that they're subject to open meeting laws. Mm -hmm. So when you appear in front of the commission on a, on a decision, so whether to approve this gas plant or not, or approve this resource plan or not, the commissioners have read submissions, but they are not allowed to talk to each other behind the scenes. So they show up not having had any, um, you know, opportunity to discuss this among themselves. And then they deliberate publicly. So you sit there and a answer questions, and then you watch them deliberate. So it's really unlike anything, you know, usually when you're in front of a judge, they'll take the matter under consideration and get back to you with an opinion. So it's pretty interesting to sit and actually watch the commissioners reach their decision live. Yeah, because, I mean, if you go to the legislature, many times we go to committee hearings, folks there have already pretty much made up their mind about what the bill that's in front of them. And it's kind of almost theater more than it is deliberation. But you're saying that you can watch people deliberate for hours live and right in front of your eyes? Yeah, it takes some stamina to, <laughs> uh, to appear at the Public Utilities Commission. Some of the hearings um, are all-day or multi-day affairs. Um, there's an unprecedented, I think, uh, decision coming up on the Line 3 pipeline where they've scheduled four full days uh, for that decision to happen. So you're going to be popping your popcorn and showing up there to watch? Or? <laughs> yeah. You're trying to stay awake in this case, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's one of the things that's kind of interesting, too, about um, Minnesota's open meeting laws is that they really do require that this happen in public, but it's probably not something that many members of the public are going to stick around and watch all four days of. Yeah, I mean, I think there will be um, more interest in that decision than yeah. maybe some of the others. But you're right. I mean, it is um, a small group of us, I think, that are regulars at the PUC. Um, so, there, of course, beside the Line 3 decision, which is coming down, there have been a whole host of other really big decisions recently in just the last year, year and a half. Uh, at the Public Utilities Commission related to renewable energy. And I wanted to, to talk just briefly about some of the history and the recent history of our work over at, uh, at the Public Utilities Commission, particularly starting with uh, external, what is called the externalities decision, which is a very abstract way of saying making sure that pollution costs aren't imposed on people. Can you talk a little bit about the externalities case and what our position was in that? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I started at MCEA um, about four and a half years ago, and that was my first case that I was assigned. And <laughs> we just got an opinion in January of this year. So it basically spans my career uh, at an MCEA. Um, so there's a statute in Minnesota that was passed in 1993. So it was really, you know, speaking of Minnesota being nation leading. This was um, definitely a, a leadership move back in the early 90s. And it requires the utilities in Minnesota to consider the environmental costs when appearing in front of the Public Utilities Commission. Mm -hmm. 
And then the statute said that the commission would be the body to uh, establish, to quantify what these environmental costs are that need to be considered. So in 1997, we got a decision from the commission that quantified six different pollutants and said, here's what the cost is, a per ton dollar figure for these particular pollutants. And they hadn't been updated since then. They, these are the same figures that were used for 20 years. Um, so MCEA and a group of uh, partner organizations petitioned in 2013 to update those costs. And one pollutant that is quantified is carbon dioxide. So essentially what we had to do was put a dollar figure on a ton of carbon, and what does that ton of carbon do in terms of climate change damages to society so that when we're appearing in front of the commission, the commission has information about climate change and the impact of carbon dioxide when it's weighing, you know, wind versus gas versus coal. Um, so it was, it was a really um, interesting proceeding. So basically what they would have to do is if they're presented with a proposal from a utility. It says, we need to build a new power plant. And they said, we're gonna, we want to build a natural gas plant because it's cheaper for consumers, but it doesn't factor in the climate change costs. The utility commission can, could come back and say, that's not actually the lowest cost option because you haven't factored in the climate change costs. Is that the best way to describe it? Yeah, that's a good way to yeah. put it. Essentially, it's it's trying to incorporate into decision-making the full spectrum of costs. So not just what will this do to utility shareholder uh, prices or what will this do to your bill, but it will it looks at what does this do to the state of Minnesota and society as a whole and having the sort of full breadth of information mm -hmm. uh, available. I mean, and that's kind of arcane, but at the same time, if we're making decisions that don't really account for the true cost of our actions, then we're imposing those costs on somebody else. That's right. I mean, it's sort of economics 101. So in a super geeky, you know, back to college days, thinking about how do you correct this market failure, essentially, mm -hmm. so that when um, a utility is selling this good, this electricity, it's incorporating all of the all of the costs. So yeah. it's it's a fun, nerdy uh, proceeding. Hey, look, at MCA, we're nothing but we're we're we're, we're fun nerds. Right, that, that's I think that's the idea. That's right. Fun nerds that do good things. Um, and there's one other decision that I wanted to highlight before we move on to talking about um, what's coming up in the next year, which is the retirement of two of the largest coal burning plants in in Minnesota. That happened last year, I believe. Or the the plan was to the, it, the decision to retire them was made last year. It was 2016, okay. I believe, was the decision. Yeah. So one of the main proceedings that MCA gets involved in at the Public Utilities Commission are what's called resource plans. Mm -hmm. um, so every approximately two years, utilities have to file with the commission a plan for how they're going to generate electricity over the next 15 years. Um, there's a, a long lead time for a lot of the um, decisions that utilities make about their systems. And so this 15-year time period is important. And the most recent resource plan for XL Energy, uh, we intervened on behalf of a coalition of groups, and the outcome of that proceeding was that we got earlier retirement dates um, for two of XL's biggest coal units, the two at Sherburne County um, or Sherco. Okay. And there's three there. 
Right. Right. Yeah. So there's um, still one unit at Cherco that doesn't have a retirement date, and then there's another coal plant on Excel System that does not have a retirement date. And that's the Allen King plant on the St. Croix River? Correct. Okay. So upcoming this next year, I mean, let me just kind of lay, lay the groundwork here. First of all, Excel is the biggest utility in the state, right? That's right. I mean, what approximately what percentage of the electricity sold in the state does Excel sell? I think it's about 80%. I mean, for perspective, when we talk about the size of a system, we often talk about it in megawatts. Mm-hmm. Um, and Excel's system, I wrote it down because I wasn't sure I'd remember. Um, <laughs> Excel's system is over 17,000 megawatts. Okay. And then the other th- sort of three big utilities are Great River Energy is 3,300 uh, Minnesota Power is 1,800, and then Otter Tail Power is 800. So XL at se- over 17,000 megawatts is mm. by far the biggest utility. That is a big, that's a big difference. And those four plants that are coming up, so there's there's the two coal plants, mm-hmm. um, the third Sherco uh, plant, and then the Allen King plant. There's also the two big nuclear plants that are coming up for potential retirement relatively soon. And we got an online question about this. What What is what is the end, li- end of life? for these nuclear power plants. They've been in operation for a while now, but they have a fixed term, right? Right, so unlike the coal plants and gas plants that sort of have a end of life that's a little more of a natural old age or you know fully depreciated, however you wanna think about it, nuclear plants are licensed and have a, more of a fixed end date. So um, the Monticello plant is, um, its license is, through 2030, mm-hmm. and then Prairie Island has two units, um, and it's two units. Their licenses are up in 2033 and 2034. And when you say their licenses are up, that's the end of their end of the road for them, or could they apply for extensions to those licenses? You can apply for extensions, um, and they've already been extended once. Mm-hmm. So uh, in the 2013, 2014 time period, they were extended to their current end of license. Um, so it, Excel could apply to extend those. Okay. But if they don't, that means that these two nuclear plants are scheduled to close during that 15-year planning window. So Excel is coming back this year with another resource plan? Yeah, that's exactly right. So they're, on Excel's system, there's sort of this like I was talking about, the natural end of life for these coal plants, um, just based on old age. You know, a lot of these plants were built in the same time frame in the 1960s. We were electrifying everything and building these large centralized um, plants. And so they're reaching this the their natural end of life. And then these nuclear licenses are up. And so all of this, they call it baseload power, these large centralized generating stations are reaching the end of their lives within this 15-year planning period. So the next plan from Excel is due February 1st of mm-hmm. 2019, and that plan will look at its system for the next 15 years. So we'll have to contemplate what do we do now. And that's those four plants, those two coal plants, those two nuclear plants are 70% of Excel's generating? In two, in 2016, they generated 70% of all of the electricity. So that- 70% of the, of the largest utility is up for replacement. And the question is, what will it be replaced with? That's right. And so far, what has been Excel's approach to replacing 
retired plants. I mean, they've already gone through the, they're planning the retirement of the first two Sherco units. Are they, are they moving in the direction of renewable energy already? And what, what can we do to help them see the, the value of it? Yeah, so a couple things. I mean, Excel has been a leader in terms of um, adding renewable energy to its system. So it recently announced that it wants to be 85% carbon-free by 2030. Hmm. That's a huge goal, and we're excited to, to help them get there. Um, the The difficulty, I guess, in replacing all of these baseload plants is – it, it is figuring out how to do it in a cost-effective, reliable, and also environmental way, mm -hmm. right? And so that's why, you know, we get into these proceedings and we really kind of look under the hood and see what they're proposing and see if it could be done in a, in a lower carbon um, but still just as cost-effective way. And the big, I guess, rush that we're trying to avoid now is replacing all of this with um, natural gas plants. I think that's sort of the... Um, path of least resistance at this point for the utilities, mm -hmm. and we think that's a mistake. Well, and let's talk about one specific proposal because outside of Excel, there's you know Minnesota Power. You've already mentioned them as a significant power provider in northern Minnesota, um, and they have proposed a natural gas power plant in Superior, Wisconsin, as a kind of cooperative arrangement with Dairyland Electrical Power in Wisconsin, um, but. MCEA has been opposing this plan. Can you talk a little bit about why we oppose it and what, what work we're doing to try, what, what you think should be replacing um, power on the, that's being lost from coal generating in the Minnesota power system? Yeah, so this was a petition that came up last summer. Uh, Minnesota Power asked the Public Utilities Commission to approve its purchase of a portion of this uh, cooperatively owned and built plant in Superior. Um, and so... We intervened in that proceeding again with a with a group of organizations um, to to kick the tires, look under the hood, and see you know is this plant necessary and is it the right thing to um, add to Minnesota Power System? Um, and so Minnesota Power is claiming two reasons for this plant. One is the growth of its um, customers' needs over time, and the other is sort of balancing the renewable energy, the wind and solar that it's adding to its system. Um, and so we filed um, expert testimony on those issues, and our experts found and testified that the, the forecast, so what the customers would need over this 15, 20-year time period, um, was lower than Minnesota Power was claiming, and that the if you corrected some of the assumptions in the model. I'll try not to get too geeky, even though <laughs> it's hard not to. Um, yeah. If you corrected some of those assumptions in the model that actually it was more cost-effective to add wind and solar um, instead of the gas plant. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned earlier that market forces are driving some of this, mm -hmm. too. I mean, is, are, is wind and solar now the cheapest option just for the marketplace? Yeah, I mean, it, it Depends. It's case specific mm -hmm. always, right? And so it depends on what you're comparing it to. It gets harder when you're comparing it to some costs that have already been sunk. So if you've already built a coal plant in 1960 and totally paid it off mm -hmm. um, and you're talking about building a brand new solar array or wind farm, then you're not really comparing apples to apples. Right. But if you're talking about building a new fossil fuel plant or building a new wind farm, then yeah, wind is clearly um, the cheapest or one of the cheapest options and solar's on its way there. So 
You know, and as you mentioned at the beginning of this, uh, some of the we've made a lot of progress in the electrical system and trying to move toward a carbon-free future, but we're also kind of stuck in the mud when it comes to making progress across the economy. And one big sector that we haven't talked about yet is the transportation sector. Uh, and so we had an online question asking how MCA is involved in efforts to electrify transportation in Minnesota and across the Midwest. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So we... Transportation is kind of, in my opinion, the next um, big frontier. We've we have figured out how to decarbonize electricity. We just need the sort of political will and some of the tools to get there. We've also really figured out how to decarbonize transportation with electric vehicles. Um, you know, assuming they're charged, if we continue to clean up the electricity system and they're being charged with greener and greener electricity, um, we have a an answer there. But we, again, we need sort of the infrastructure and the political will to get there. And so MCEA has been working um, it some at the Public Utilities Commission to make sure the rate structures are in place um, to incentivize people to charge their cars in the right way and with the right kinds of electricity. Um, and we're working on how do we um, sort of embed climate change and carbon issues in the, the rest of the regulatory framework. So the charging infrastructure, too, is a big mm -hmm. part of this. I think there's some money in, in the VW settlement as well. We've been involved in that. Yeah, MCA co-chairs the Clean Air Minnesota, um, which is a, a group of a cooperative group with the Chamber of Commerce and um, businesses and uh, the Pollution Control Agency. And we've talked a lot at that meeting about um, the VW settlement and how do we best use these funds. And we've um, submitted comments to the PCA about how to use those funds and yeah, maximizing the use of that settlement money for EV infrastructure will be a big step. You know, and that kind of gets me just to the last question, which is a, you know, a big think piece. Which is what's, what's next? I mean, yeah. you've been really involved in kind of the nitty-gritty of trying to help shape decisions that are going to, um, well, really set the base, base, the base for our electrical generation. But what do you think the future holds for this? What are some trends that you're paying attention to that you think listeners might be interested in? Yeah. So, you know, we've spent a lot of time and focus on retiring the coal plants, which are the, you know, biggest emitters of greenhouse gases, and then building up the clean infrastructure to replace that. Um, going forward, there's a lot of exciting things happening with modernizing the grid. So trying to figure out how do we take advantage of technology, technology and technological advances in the electricity system. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the electricity system is surprisingly simple, um, and if we can use some of this, um, you know, two-way communication and, I mean, things like even a Nest thermostat and trying to get more of those on um, in people's homes and get the entire grid modernized, um, I think that's really going to be the, the next frontier of, of decisions. I mean, I think we were talking about this in the office the other day, and, and really a utility doesn't even know that your power is off unless you call them to tell them that. Right? I know. I couldn't believe that when I first... <laughs> I mean, you just assume <laughs> that with all this technology and computers that they would just... Know, there would be a little red dot on the map and say, oh, there's a problem over here in Fridley or in White Bear Lake. Mm -hmm. But instead, it's they have to wait for you to call them to tell them that mm -hmm. the power is not working. Yeah. And so there's a lot that could be done there, right? I mean, just knowing the power's out at your house would be one step in the right direction. But um, things like being able to control 
your energy usage from the utility side of things. So, you know, there's programs in place where you can control your own energy usage to save money. Um, there was recently a time of use rate approved for Excel's system, a pilot program um, that would do that. But having the utility be able to do that so they don't have to build the next new power plant and instead they can kind of manipulate who's using what when would yeah. be, um, in our opinion, a better way to use resources. So when you say the time of use, what you're saying is that there's like different rates at different mm -hmm. times of day? Yeah. So, you know, when everyone gets home from work on the hottest day in August and flips on their air conditioning, that's when you hit what's called the peak. That's mm -hmm. the peak usage. Um, and so a time of use rate would make, um, if you did that, you'd have to pay more for that usage um, than if you waited and turned it on a little bit later so that they, we can kind of flatten out the peak and make the energy being used more consistent um, so we don't have to build, you know, it's like building a 14-lane freeway for rush hour when 99% of the time you only need one lane. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense, too, because we've oftentimes talked about, like, base load and peak demand as if those things are just natural and they can't be modified. But we know that using pilots like this, you can change how consumers use energy in ways that benefit everybody. It makes it easier for the power company to meet that demand. It makes it simpler and cheaper for consumers who change their behavior to save some money. Yeah, we'll be keeping yeah. an eye on these pilot programs. We're excited to, to see where they can take us in the future. Yeah, that's great. Well, and this has been a really fun conversation. Um, I guess one last question for you is what can people do? I mean, if people want to get involved, what can they do to learn more about these issues and get involved with the Public Utilities Commission and other places where energy decisions are made? Yeah, I mean, the Public Utilities Commission is wonky, but it is also, um, every docket has the opportunity, every docket case has the opportunity for the public to weigh in. So if you look online, they have a website called Speak Up. And if you care about how your electricity is made and what it's made from, um, then you can comment on a lot of these matters. Yeah. And MCEA can help if you want to reach out. Well, that's a deep dive into Minnesota's power, literally. 2019 is shaping up to be a big year as Minnesota will be making critical decisions affecting the next 15 years of our electrical power plants. Will we retire coal for good? Or will we drag our heels and add even more greenhouse gas pollution that will damage the climate for our children and grandchildren? Since this episode was recorded in July 2018, there have been some updates that are worth noting. In October of 2018, the Minnesota Public Utilities Commission approved the natural gas power plant proposed by Minnesota Power on a narrow 3-2 vote. MCA is reviewing this decision and working with our clients to determine if we'll challenge it. Secondly, Lee Curry is leaving MCEA and is working to ensure our work continues under our new Climate and Energy Program Director, Kevin Lee. We'll miss Lee terribly, but we're lucky to have Kevin taking on the reins. Kevin is well known for his work on mining, and he'll be a strong leader as MCEA pursues our mission of defending Minnesota's climate for the next generation. You have a stake in these important decisions and a say on these decisions. Be sure to follow MCEA's work. Visit our website at mncenter.org and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at MCEA 1974. That's at MCEA 1974. Lastly, we can't do this work without you. If you want to help us represent the next generation's interest at the Public Utilities Commission and the Minnesota Legislature, please consider a contribution to MCEA. Go to mncenter.org donate. That's mncenter.org donate. This has been MCEA's Power Lunch with Lee Curry. 
Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll share your lunchtime with MCEA again soon.